Numbers 27, 12 through 23. The Lord said to Moses, Go up into this mountain of Abiram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them and who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for Your grace to us through Your Son, and we pray that that He would be magnified this morning as we look at Your Word together. We thank You for the, the, the eternal truth that You do good work in the heart of Your people through Your Word because of the Gospel of Your Son. So we pray that You would do that again today, and we will thank You for it. In Christ's name. Amen. Our passage, and and therefore our sermon, have two parts, has two parts this morning. We're going to break up these these verses and then our sermon into two parts. Part one is going to be Moses' request, and part two is God's answer. Part one is Moses' request, part two is God's answer. We have to look first here, and we have to look at it carefully, because there's, it's going to be helpful for us. If we look at this carefully, it'll be very helpful for us to see part one, Moses' request. I want you to think with me um, this morning. I want you to think about Moses and all that he's gone through. Moses has been leading the people of Israel for decades. And, and, and for 40 years, he's been leading them through the wilderness. And, and, uh, and before that, He led them out of Egypt. And, and we've seen the way these people have behaved themselves, right? Um, it's been 40 years of complaining, of grumbling, of rebelling. They have openly rejected God's Word. I mean, as soon as God brought them out of Egypt... I mean, the, the, one of the first things they did was they, they, they constructed this golden calf and, and worshipped it instead of God. And over and over and over in the book of Numbers, we've seen how they have just been 
so whiny, so complaining. And Moses has been, for the most part, um, faithful, humble, patient. He's continued to tell them the truth. He's continued to call them to repentance. He's continued to warn them, hey, idiots, if you're going to keep doing that, God's going to judge you. You have to stop. You have to listen and obey the Word of God. And we saw how the people got so close to the promised land. They got right up next to it. And they're like, no, I don't think we can do this. We're out. And so that whole generation, that whole generation of people died in the wilderness because of their sin. Moses has endured a lot. But then we also saw back in Numbers 20 how Moses lost his temper. Right? The, the people are complaining once again, this time because they don't have water. And so, and so God says to Moses, speak to that rock, and when you speak to it, water will flow for the people. Moses is angry at the people. He's just angry in general. And again, we talked about it then, and we know it now. We don't blame him. We, we don't blame him. Like, we understand where his anger is coming from. As my mom would say, they are on his last nerve. I could always find my mom's last nerve. I feel like I got there pretty quick. I got there quicker than most of my siblings. You are on my last nerve. The people found Moses' last nerve, didn't they? And he lost his temper. And he struck the rock. And God says when you do that, He says here in verse 14 of our passage, you rebelled against My Word in the wilderness of Zin. You failed to uphold Me as holy. You sinned, Moses. And because you sinned, here it says in verse 13, when you have seen the, the promised land, like you're going to climb to this mountain. We learn in Deuteronomy the mountain is called Nebo. When you climb to uh, the top of Mount Nebo, you're going to see the promised land, but then you're going to be gathered to your people, which means you're going to die. That's, the, that's code for the death of a believer. You're going to be gathered to the, the, your, your people as your brother Aaron was. Aaron has already died because of his sin. Moses is going to die because of his sin. He's not going to make it into the promised land. And I, there is a part of all of us that's just like, man, that doesn't seem fair. Like Moses has been incredibly faithful. Yeah, he's had some, he's had some blunders. He's had some goof ups. He's not been perfect. And, and of course, we don't, we don't have everything that happened in those 40 years. There's more sin along the way. We understand that we're sinners and Moses was a sinner, but, but also God speaks very highly of Moses. This doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. He's worked so hard. He's been so faithful. He's put up with so much. But he has sinned, and sin brings consequences. Now, I want you to think with me. What would you and I have said to God in that moment? When God is once again telling us, hey, you're going to go up to the mountain. You're going to see the the land that your people are going to get, but you're not going to get it. You're not going to be able to go in. 
maybe we would have become in that moment very self-centered. It's very possible that in that moment we would have become very self-centered. We would have said, God, how is this fair? Remind me again why this is fair. Why those numbskulls get to go in and I don't. Remind me, God, how this is fair. Or we might have gotten very concerned about our legacy. God, is this how people are going to rem- remember me? That I'm the, I'm the guy who couldn't get the job done? That I got there, that I got there, and, but then, but then somebody else had to get the team over the, over the goal line? Like, what, what, how am I going to re- be remembered? Or we might have been, this is, this is definitely what I would have been, what I would have been consumed with is anger at these people. Are you, Idiots kidding me right now. I've, I've done this for 40 years and because of you. It's your fault I struck that rock. It was your complaining. It was your grumbling. It was either I hit the rock or I hit you. But that's not how Moses responds. Look at what Moses says as soon as he hears this word from God. Look at how he responds. Verse 15, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man who will construct a statue in my honor so people know who did the lion's share of the work here. Let's hold a confessional service so the people all admit out loud that it's their fault that I didn't get to go in. Somebody's got to make these people own this. No, he doesn't. No, 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 no. He doesn't, he doesn't lash out at God. And he doesn't lash out at the people. He says, he says in verse 16, let the Lord, the God of all the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them and who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. What is Moses' first response? He, he cares deeply for his people. He says, God, don't let the people have no shepherd. Don't let them go without a shepherd. His initial, his first response to knowing that he's not going to be the guy who gets to take them in. He says, somebody's got to take them in. Somebody has to shepherd these people. Somebody has to go out before them and fight their battles with them and for them. Somebody's got to be their example. Somebody's got to bring them back in. Somebody has to lead them and guide them. Someone has to shepherd them. He's saying, God, we know... We know what's going to happen if these people don't have a shepherd. These people need a shepherd. It's important that we we contrast Moses' actual request with what he could have said. And we would have been like, yeah, I, I get it, Moses, you're angry. You lashed out at God. You lashed out at the people. You, you decided to sulk. You decided to, to just, fine, fine. If that's what's going to happen... See what happens, God. See what happens. That's fine. You're, you're gonna, you're not gonna let me take him in? Well, okay. We'll see how this works out for you. He doesn't do any of that. Moses here shows us what, what real leadership looks like. He, he shows us what real love looks like. In the moment where he could have 
cared all about his own reputation, his own legacy, about defending himself, about explaining why he lost his temper, about making sure he's remembered in a positive way. He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he focuses all his attention on the fact that those people are going to need a shepherd. God, please, please, please give them a shepherd. His main concern is the spiritual welfare of his people. This is what leaders do. This is, this is a mark of, of leadership. This is a mark of real Christian love. It was that, and it's not just for leaders. It's absolutely not just for leaders. It's for all of us. This is the way we are to love one another. Jesus says to us in John chapter 13, He says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. This is not, I mean, this, this is something we are to be doing, right? This is a, a commandment from our King. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. In the, in the same sort of way that I have loved you, not, this is not saying just as I have loved you, just because I have loved you. No, this is saying in the same way that I have loved you. You, you show, you take my, my love for you as a model, as an example, and then you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So, so we have to think, how did Jesus love us? When, when Jesus came to earth in human flesh to live a life, uh, and, and then he obeyed and glorified his Father perfectly, and he died the death that we deserve, When He came to earth to do this, He gave up. He put aside Himself in ways we'll never understand. He put aside His comfort, His significance, His reputation in ways that we could never fathom. And then he says to us, this is how you are to love each other. You are to, you are, and this is not a, this is not a suggestion. This is a commandment. This is not optional. This is what we are to do. You, you put aside your comfort, your significance, your reputation to love each other. This is what I have done for you. This is what you must do for each other. We cannot do this if we're always concerned about our own preferences, our own comfort, our own reputation. We, we can't do it. If we're, because the thing is, with, 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 Loving each other the way God has called us to love each other, it's going to require that we speak the truth to each other. That's, if I'm going to love you, I have to tell you the truth. If I am, if I am always concerned about your, your, you know, your, um, your estimation of me, the way you, the way you think of me, I'm always concerned about that. I'm always worried that you're going to be frustrated with me. Well, then I, I won't, I won't love you enough to tell you the truth. If I'm, if I'm wrapped up in my own reputation, whether people like me or not, whether, if I'm all about avoiding uncomfortable situations, I can't actually love people the way God has called me to love them. I, I, loving people means giving up our, our time and our resources to care for them. We cannot do this. If we're always concerned about our own comfort and our own significance, loving people means forgetting ourselves. It just does. And so Moses shows us that here. 
I, I don't, I don't, there aren't very many stories in the Bible where, where we just see someone forgetting all about themselves in a moment where I would have not been forgetting about myself. I cannot believe he led with, don't, for, don't forget the people, God. Take care of the people. The people need a shepherd. Don't forget about the people. In that, in that circumstance, in that situation, I would have been so tempted to say, okay, let's see how this works out for him. Alright. Fine. Like the, like the head coach of a football team who gets fired and then he just watches the team the next year and they lose and lose. <laughs> That's what you get for firing me. That's what you get. Moses doesn't do any of that. And I think we see here why Moses was called the, the meekest man to ever live. Because he was an angry man. We see that. He struggled with anger like you and I do. He struggles with anger. With anger that would be very easy to justify. He struggles with it. But there's something bigger in his heart. And that's a love for the people of God. Now, if you're thinking, because this is what I was thinking as I was reading this story, if you're thinking, I'm not very good at that. I'm not, I'm not very good at putting aside my own reputation, my own comfort, my own significance, my own preferences for other people. I, I tend to think very self-centeredly. It's a, it's a battle for me. It's a, it's a day in and day out battle for me to love other people well. I'm not very good at it. I, I have said, I have said many times over the last couple of months, I've said many times over the last couple of months that, um, that, that, that pastoring First Baptist Church in many ways is, I, I just have it a lot easier than a lot of other people I know. A lot of, a lot of friends I have, a lot of people I know, I have it a lot easier, um, because of the way, just the way you guys operate. You're not high maintenance. You're not, you're not a lot of drama. You're not, you're, you're just, you're just not. I just keep waiting for the other shoe to fall and it just doesn't really. Um, I've been here five or six years. So if the, if the shoe falls, it's going to be a big, big shoe. But so far, of course you have, you know, and, and I think going through this time that we've gone through, of course you have really strong, um, opinions about the way life is going right now. Of course you do. But I've seen over and over and over in, in literally dozens of small ways how you are just going to prefer one another. You're going to love one another. You're not going to freak out about preferences and opinions. You're going to try to keep the Gospel of Jesus Christ central. It makes it very easy for me to pastor you guys. But, but the problem with that is I'm still a self-centered jerk. Just because you're easy to pastor doesn't mean it's easy for me to love you. Should be. Just the way it should be easy for you to love me. I mean, really, if you think about it. But we struggle, don't we? To, to put others first. The way Jesus has commanded us. We struggle. Well, part two of the sermon will help us eventually. You had you got to hold on. We, we get there in the end. you got to... You gotta hold on. But, but part two helps us. It's, it's, it's just really good, grounded, concrete hope for, for people like you and me.
So, second part of our sermon is God's response. We saw Moses' request, and hopefully it was an encouragement to you, it was an example to you, and maybe even a little bit like convicting, right? That's the way it was for me. If you're not convicted, then, well, you should be. All right? If I am, you have to be too. All right, so, so we looked at Moses' request. Now let's look at God's response, part two. Moses asks for God for a shepherd for his people. Don't leave them without a shepherd. And so God responds. God says, um, verse 18, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. Joshua is going to be the new leader. Verse 20, um, verse 20, you shall invest him with some of your authority, some of your authority. Right? That's, that's important. That all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey, and he shall stand before Eliezer the priest, who shall inquire for him by the judgment of the Urim before the Lord. So that's important as well. So, the, so Joshua is going to be a different kind of leader than Moses was. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eliezer the priest and the whole congregation, and he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord directed through Moses. So God is going to give his people a shepherd. He's going to give them Joshua. And and like if you've never read through the book of Joshua, you, you should. Or maybe you've started it and you say, man, this is a bloodbath. I, I'm just going to skip to Judges. Oh, wow, this is a depressing bloodbath. This is no good either. I'm just, well, it's a, read through the book of Joshua. And you will see over and over and over again that like Moses, Joshua was a good leader. He's a good leader. Was he perfect? No. He was a sinner. But he was a good leader. But we see here, he's not going to be another Moses. And in fact, if you read through the Old Testament, the, 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 the trajectory after Moses, it, no one has Moses' level of authority. No one does. Moses is on a completely different playing field than anybody who comes after him. Um, God says, you know, this is, a, this is a great, I mean, this is just a, you know, I wonder how Joshua feels all about this. So, so here comes Mo, here comes Joshua, and he will have some of Moses' authority. You're, you know, because you, you wanna, you wanna kind of start the new guy off and give him a big, you know, yeah, everybody's gonna love him, he's gonna be just as good as Moses, he's gonna be great, and God's like, no, actually, he's, he's not. He's gonna be just as good. He's, he's gonna be, he's gonna be partly as good. He's gonna, he's gonna have some of the authority. He's not gonna be able to do what Moses does. Moses goes and has these conversations with God. Joshua can't do that. If, if Joshua wants to know the will of the Lord, like, should we do this or should we do that? He has to work through Eliezer the priest. Moses didn't have to do that. Joshua does. And Eliezer the priest has to, has to do the Urim, which it's kind of like casting lots or rolling dice to find out a, a yes or no answer from God. It's the way they divine, um, that's the way they decided these kinds of things back then, according to the will of God. And so, and, and so Joshua is just going to be different. He's not going to have everything Moses had. He's going to be limited. And then we're going to see also that just like Moses was and all the leaders after them, Joshua wasn't, couldn't be a permanent solution. He couldn't be the shepherd that his people needed. He was an amazing leader. But, but the main problem with Joshua is that he did what humans just just continue to do. He 
died. Right? Judges chapter 2. So that after the whole book of Joshua, alright? After Joshua becomes the leader, after the whole book of Joshua, he serves and leads Israel for years. He does an amazing job. He leads them into the promised land. Things are going pretty good. Judges chapter 2, verse 7. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. So there's this generation, Joshua and, and then his cronies, when, as, when they were alive, Israel kept on the straight and narrow because they had seen this good work that God had done through Joshua and through his faithful leadership. So, so Israel was doing okay. Verse 8 though, this is what tends to happen if you read the history books, and Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. Will he be the permanent solution Israel needs? No, he will not. And they buried him within the boundaries of the inheritance of his inheritance in Timnath, Perez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. And all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. So that's Joshua and his generation. They died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Just one generation later. It takes one generation for these sheep just to go, just to scatter. Did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of, out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. So Joshua was a great leader, but then he died and everything just falls apart. And you read the book of Judges, it is a mess. And so they start to think in the book of Judges, and this is what brings us into the, the, the books of Samuel. They start to think, you know what, maybe what we need in order to get this permanent solution to be permanently safe in the promised land, you know what we might need here? We need a monarchy. We need a king. That'll do it. Actually, a lot of commentators, and now me, because a lot of commentators told me, um, a lot of commentators think this is probably what Moses had in mind. Something like this. When he said, when he said, let the, the Lord um, give them a man, appoint a man for them, verse 17, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. That's king language. And we know it's king language when in 2 Samuel chapter 5, the people choose David to be their king. Listen to what they say. They say, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. It's the same language Moses used. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, that you, and you shall be prince over Israel. So the people, when they're talking to David and making him king, they combine these, this, these words that, that Moses combines. Moses, and this is the only two times they're combined um, in Scripture. Moses says, you shall, someone to bring them in, someone to lead them out and bring them in, and this is what the people say about David. Someone to be a shepherd, and this is what people say about David. So David's the permanent solution. He's the one. He's going to get it done. And when he dies, his sons are going to be just as fantastic as he was. This is going to work. It's got to work. Well, 2 Samuel 11 starts with an ominous note. King David had been doing pretty well 
chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, we get to 2 Samuel 11, and it starts with this. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, David was was made king because he's going to go out for his people. He's going to go out and he's going to lead them back in. He's going, to, he's going to be the one that Moses had in mind. It's going to be awesome. He's going to shepherd his people. He's going to go out. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. The king is supposed to go out before his people and come in with his people. He's supposed to lead and shepherd his people, but David doesn't. And we know in 2 Samuel 11, that's when he stays in Jerusalem and that's when he, when he commits adultery with Bathsheba and when, when he murders Bathsheba's husband. He's not the king that his people need. And having a monarchy doesn't help because his sons and his grandsons are all sinners just like he is. None of them are the shepherd king that their people need. This is what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. This is kind of like what David did. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. God's people needed a shepherd. They needed a shepherd as Moses was dying. Moses said, The people need a shepherd. Joshua dies and the people need a shepherd. David is is on the scene for a few chapters and he's amazing, but then the people need a shepherd. David's sons and then his grandsons and they get worse and the people need a shepherd. No one can do it until, and this isn't a cliffhanger for you people, You, you people know where this story is going. There is a shepherd who's born in Bethlehem. Jesus shows up in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. He saw a great crowd. And you, you already know what I'm going to say. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus shows up. He's telling anyone who has ears to hear, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus shows up and He says, I am the shepherd that we need. I am the permanent solution to our problem. Our problem, Isaiah 53 says, is we are, we are all like sheep. We all go astray. We need, we need someone for, for God to, to lay our iniquities on. Someone has to pay for all of our sinful, rebellious wandering. Someone needs to, to lay down His life for the sheep. We are sinful, straying sheep. And Jesus is our solution. He is our shepherd. Now, now Jesus, like Moses and 
like Joshua and like David, and like all of the numbskulls who came after David, we don't even need to name them, very few bright spots in that family tree, they all died. Jesus, like the rest of them, died. But, but Jesus didn't die because he sinned. Moses and friends died because of their sin. Jesus didn't. Jesus died for our sin. He died to pay for our sin. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that, is that the, 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 the great thing that makes him a permanent solution is he didn't stay dead. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. The, the author of Hebrews is not content to call him the good shepherd. He, the great shepherd of the sheep. By the blood of the eternal covenant. So now, you and I, wandering, goofy, rebellious, sinful sheep who should know the difference between a a thicket that we would get caught up in, between a a river that that will drown in, we should know the difference between that and good green pastures, but we don't. We choose sin. We choose sin, but the the great shepherd chose us. And, and, And God entered into an eternal covenant, Hebrews 13 says. The blood of the eternal covenant. So when Jesus shed his blood for us, this wasn't a, this wasn't a short term contract. This was based on eternal covenant with God. Now we are We are eternally saved. We are permanently saved. We are completely and finally forgiven. Because the blood that Jesus shed on the cross, the death that He died on the cross, was an eternal covenant with God. It's an eternal covenant. And God showed us that this is an eternal covenant by bringing Jesus back to life. He brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, I want to now continue on in Hebrews 13. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So so this, this is an eternal thing. We are in God's family forever. We are forgiven forever. The blood is good. It's a permanent solution. We are completely and forever saved by our good shepherd. Now listen to verse 21. May that God, who did all of that through our Good Shepherd, may He, verse 21, equip you with everything good that you may do His will. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here's what we're saying this morning. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, if you will trust Christ as your Savior, if you haven't yet, but you, you want to, then do it now. You are in God's family forever. If you, just, if you just claim, just internally or externally, however you want to do it, claim Jesus Christ for your own. 
That He is the Savior that you need. If, you, if, if this is your story, then you are in God's family forever. And God, through that eternal covenant, is equipping you to do His will. So Jesus gives us this commandment. Love others the way I have loved you. That is God's will for us. You want to know God's will? When Jesus says, here's a commandment, well then we know God's will. Pretty clear. And through Jesus, He equips us to do it. He gives us the strength to do it. Now we can more and more and more forget about ourselves, forget about our preferences and our comfort and our reputation and our significance and our legacy, and we can actually love others. We can speak the truth in love to others. We can sacrifice our time and our energy and our money for the sake of others. We have a, a good shepherd. And he, he put aside himself in ways that we cannot fathom. He left it to love us. He put aside his comfort in ways we could never understand. He put aside his, his legacy, his reputation in ways that we could never understand. There's, there are two things always happening in this universe. One, Jesus is always claiming me for his own and, and, and identifying with me before the Father and interceding with me before the Father and keeping me saved and keeping me in the Father. That's one thing that's always happening. And another thing that's always happening is Jesus is always being mocked in this world. Both things are always happening. Jesus is always loving me. He's always watching over me. He's always shepherding me. He's always laying down Himself for me. He's always... And, and he's, he's being mocked. You turn on the TV, it does not take long before Jesus will be mocked. Not only did he give himself, give up of himself 2,000 years ago to save us, but he is still to this day not vindicating himself like he could and like he will. And he is giving us the strength to follow his example. The strength to say that comfort and legacy and 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 significance and all of that stuff god can dole that out in eternity long time down the road i don't need to worry about it now right now i'm just called to follow the example of the of the good shepherd who laid down his life for me let's pray together god we thank you for your love we thank you for your word we thank you for jesus we thank you god that that in your grace you brought us into an eternal covenant through this great shepherd who has, who has laid down his life for his sheep. Thank you for your grace to us. Help us, God, more and more and more to be aware of, of ways where we can forego, we can put aside our own selves, 
in order to love others. Help us to be more and more aware of opportunities. Help us to have the courage and, and the, the ter- determination to, to take these opportunities. Help us to have the wisdom to love people well. I pray, God, for this work that you would, you would, you would continue to do it in our hearts and lives. Help us to, because of the gospel, help us to live lives that that honor our Savior. In Christ's name, amen.